it's going to come with a cost. It's going to come with a cost of your data and your privacy. Have you ever wondered if your smart TV might be sending data to someone who shouldn't be looking at it? What if your kid's smart teddy bear is secretly recording them? We get it. Cyber attacks are common. And you're not being paranoid. Despite how safe they might actually seem on the surface, a huge percentage of IoT, the Internet of Thing devices, are actually at risk for attack. There was a security report from a company, Palo Alto Networks. They say that about 57% of all IoT devices are vulnerable to cyber attacks of a medium to high severity. Okay, that's pretty bad. Nobody tells you that when you're buying a smart light bulb. And IoT tech isn't limited to just devices and gadgets anymore. It's now showing up in our medical devices. Yeah, a pacemaker. How much security does that really have? And IoT is going everywhere. About 35% of all new toys now are internet connected. About 30% of new cars. And almost 50% of kitchen appliances are now connected to the internet. Who would have ever thought when you consider the numbers, the sheer amount of opportunities for attack just can't be ignored anymore. Even if your network is filled to the brim with security software and protection, this fragmented nature that there's no real security standard for the Internet of Things makes finding this one-size-fits-all approach much harder. So instead of blanket protection for your entire network, the smart thing is to focus on all of your Internet-connected devices individually, and you want to make sure that each one is in fighting shape. Joining us here on Kim Commando Explains is Rico Danielson. He's amazing. He has over 10 years experience working with companies and organizations across multiple sectors. He solves complex security and compliance issues. When you need to figure out who broke into what and how to get them out, well, that's when you call Rico. He owns a company called First Responder Cybersecurity and Digital Forensics. And let me tell you, he knows his stuff. So sit back and you really have to listen to this Kim Commando Explains. We're going to be talking more about IoT devices, network attacks, what it's actually like to speak to a cyber actor. Yeah, that guy who says, you need to pay me $5 million to get your files back. Rico had a conversation with one of those guys. And we're also going to delve into medical devices. How vulnerable are they for an attack? So stay right where you are. We have this great podcast coming up, and you don't want to miss a moment. But first, we have to say a few thank yous to our partners in this podcast because they help pay the bills. So, Rico, when we start talking about IoT, Internet of Things, it comprises anything from smart thermostats, garage doors. There's even a smart crockpot, which... I've never understood why do we need a smart crock pot? I mean, you put some chicken breast in there with some salsa, you set it for five hours and you're done, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. But sometimes people just need to know that little bit of metadata in there. They want <laughs> to know, hey, what is, the most recent one I saw was a grill company. You can actually put a measurement tape and it sends it to your your phone and says, this is the, the moisture of the beef and stuff like that. And I people want to know, right? Well, I probably could have used that last night because, quite frankly, I grilled some chicken, left it on too long. And when I went to get it, I'm like, oh, it's like beef jerky, but but chicken. So it's close, but the dog sure liked it. All right. So Internet of Things, inherently, it's unsecure because there are no standards per se, correct? Correct. Um, you know, I 
how can I put it? Um, IoT is a brand new kid on the block, right? Everybody wants to play with them, but nobody knows anything about them, right? And what I always do is I always treat IoT like a vampire. I'm very mindful of who I invite myself into my house because you don't know their capabilities. These IoT devices, there is no standardization around them. It's just a matter of plug and play. What What is it there to do and how much can it do for me, right? But nobody's really paying attention to the overall metadata that's that's being traversed behind it. And on top of that, the service and feature that it's helping you do, let's just say the crock pot, right? It's going to come with a cost. It's going to come with the cost of your data and your privacy. So you have to make sure you're okay with that. And then number two is how can you combat against that, right? So what can we do to uh, figure that out? Because again, like you just said, there's no standardization around it. Well, you always hear the stories about somebody puts in a camera in their house, right? And there was that woman, I believe, in Tennessee who she swears that she had a nest. She put on two-factor authentication and somebody was still able to hack into her camera because she called me. She's like, I'm not really sure how this happened. And then, of course, you know, we went into the router, the settings. So let's just start with the basics. So when you have a security camera and you scan the QR code, you set up two-factor authentication – where do people make the most common mistakes aside from putting a password like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight? <laughs> right. Um, so the other thing is, you know how I'm, I'm notorious for this as well uh, in the past, but you know how everyone just kind of wants to get through and click through and just be like, ah, oh, just get this experience over with. Go ahead and send that ring camera up. And they, they accept the, the privacy uh, clauses. They accept them uh, accessing the, you know, your your contacts and your voice and your time to record and your your microphone and stuff like that. So people are not really paying attention. They just want to get the ease of use of saying yes. And companies know this, right? They say, if I can put my button over here on the right hand side that just says yes to my to my terms and condition, great, no problem. However, whenever people are going through it, they need to pay attention and go backwards into their phone setting or whatever is managing this and and, and go ahead and dictate to the device and properly adjust it to where it will not give out data. It will not transmit my contact information. It will not be automatically on so it's recording me at any given time. But so many of these things, if you say, no, I don't agree, then you can't use it. Well, there is a workaround, right? Um, You can work around that. Ring actually has an area, but what they never tell you is that you actually have to go to the website, right? And actually do an auto configuration inside your dashboard versus on your mobile phone. On your mobile phone, they want you to just blow through it, ease of use. I'm done. My stuff is set up and it's constantly monitoring. And that's how you're going to set up a huge LAN and WAN web network in your area, in your neighborhood, right? But if you use the other augmentation devices, such as the dashboards, the internet configurations and whatnot, you will be able to have more granular control for that. All right. So let's talk about the ring network, because this is so fascinating to me, is that Amazon is creating the sidewalk, right? And so Mm. in order for them to create a network of sorts, that they don't have to have any infrastructure, they don't have to lie any cables down, they don't do anything. We are buying their products to create a mesh network, and we are automatically opted in. Now, Amazon says that the sidewalk is encrypted. It's secure. It only uses a small portion of my internet connection in order to make this whole network, which when you think about this, Rico, this network is capable of so many things, isn't it? I mean, like 
We could put trackers inside Amazon packages so the drones know exactly where to drop them. And so it has these capabilities. But the way that they're selling it is that if I have a ring light or a Wi-Fi light at the end of my driveway that my Wi-Fi doesn't reach, that suddenly I'll be able to have this whole Internet connection. But what are the potential downsides aside from the data tracking? Is it possible for somebody to truly get into that network and hack it? So I say that anything's possible. Any I've seen sophisticated attacks, um, but they take a long time. So what happens here is Ring is going to have to have a responsibility to ensure that there's an additional layer of encryption and also a layer of security. And the buck is going to stop at the, probably the sidewalk where the radio frequency and also the overall f- uh, reach frequency is going to be um, non-reachable, right? At that point we as consumers actually have to take a a proactive measure and ensure that we are doing the proper security preventative measures um, at any given time. So what that means for us is we're going to have to step up our game and know where our data is going at any given time and also understand where and how it's going there, whether it's a 256 encryption, whether it's a 128 encryption. Um, And then on top of that, we're going to have a little bit more responsibility in regards to our response to our data. Um, that's kind of where I would, I would lay the the foundational work right there. Uh, the other aspect of it, the technical aspect is, yes, there is an ability to have a network tap um, on the on the network side of the house. And I wouldn't put it past Amazon or the big companies to to put some sort of network sensor sensor or, or sensor nap or another tap of some sort uh, with regards to capturing your data and capturing uh, parts of your data so it can optimize itself. So I wouldn't put it past it. Now, with regards to the attackers, um, just as much as there are smart people on the on the Amazon side, there are just brilliant people on the attacker side. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a cyber incident of very big magnitude of, of the sidewalk of the Amazon Alexa soon or better yet, as it already happened. You know, you mentioned something about network attacks, and you've been in this industry for a long time. Tell us about what you would consider the most interesting network attack that you were personally involved with. Hmm. So (laughs) that's quite a few network attacks I've been a part of. Uh, One of the ones I have seen very sophisticated was for a huge financial firm. And what happened was the attackers knew that their overlay was with another provider. And what happened they were actually to place themselves in a man in the middle of attack, kind of reroute their traffic. And it really wasn't a they it was more of a chess game, not a not a routing game. Right. Um, and they knew that they were going to reroute their traffic around the globe. So that actually caused milliseconds, which is millions of dollars in damages. Um, so I wouldn't put it past anybody doing that um, because this is all a chess game. And also bigger companies like Amazon and other financial firms and healthcare, their network topology, their network devices are all out there. So it's not too hard to research and figure out a game plan of what they're going to do next. And so you can cause that pain that way. You know, we're talking about Internet of Things and you mentioned medical. I was fascinated recently when Apple said, you know, if you got the iPhone 12 and the Mag Plus, you probably shouldn't be putting that up to your chest if you have an implant or (laughs) a pacemaker, whatever it may be. And it always strikes me that that would be a horrendous thing for an attacker to go after or medical devices. It's just 
could wipe out so many people. So when we come right back, we're going to talk more about medical devices, Internet of Things. So stay right where you are, because first we have to say a few thank yous to our partners in this podcast, because they make it possible. Welcome back to Kim Commando Explains. We're talking about Internet of Things with our good friend, Rico Danielson. And Rico, you've been around doing this for how many years? Uh, Almost 15 years now. And where do you think your expertise really is at? Definitely cybersecurity, combating against attacks, um, more specifically around digital forensics and understanding incident response. Those, Those are my sweet bread and butter areas. And what's like the greatest thing that you've done recently? Uh, besides helping our great, awesome friend, Dana. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Which, by the way, folks, if you're listening to this, you don't know the story about Dana. You're missing out. Under Kim Commando Explains, there's a podcast and it's titled A Woman Was Stalked and Harassed, How We Found the Guy. You see, Dana called my show real quick and was concerned, worried um, gosh, I don't even think that's the right word about her 18-year-old daughter who's getting cyber-stalked. And we were trying to figure out how to help her because she went to the police and they didn't want to help. So, Rico, you stepped in. dun da 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 That was our high-tech sound effect. You were our knight in shining armor, so to speak. Um, and so now we're talking about Internet of Things. So aside from Dana, what have you done recently? I have helped a recently a small hospital get out of a cyber ransomware and also a mortgage company negotiate a cyber ransomware recently. How did they get hit? Was it typical phishing email? Uh, one of them was definitely a phishing email on the mortgage side of the house. Somebody was having a romantic engagement via LinkedIn. Uh, they were uh, exchanging emails. Hey, can you do this for me? Unfortunately, the person got... Uh, uh, coerced into transferring money and then more and more money left. And then they just first to the business aspect of it instead of the personal aspect of it. And they actually want to get on the phone with them saying, Hey, do you mind if we talk to the cyber threat actor? What is it you want? We can negotiate the deal for a couple million dollars. And that's how it started and stopped as well. Wow. So you were on the phone with the attacker. Yeah, that's very common. Now, uh, one of the things that I'm noticing is, Cyber attackers are very smart. However, they're, they have they have a motive and means and purpose, and it's always about money. Very rarely I'm starting to see the whole ideology perspective, but more so, hey, we just want money. We'll leave you alone. Pay us 500, you know, 500 grand. And those are the smaller amounts, right? The other ones are $1.5 million, and those are the most sophisticated. Those are the groups of people. Um, and that's kind of what I'm seeing right now. In regards to the medical side of the house, that's the Wild West. That's the Wild West. Um, so many you know, big product owners like, uh, you know, medical device product owners, A, B, and C, they show up to the hospital and like, hey, we have a cool kidney pump. We have a cool um, diabetic pump. What do y'all think we could do with this? And nobody's really paying attention. And these small devices that go in your house, go in your body, go in your persons, right? Uh, alleviate and also radiate so much information that nobody's paying attention to how it's being transmitted like, except the attackers, and I wouldn't be surprised that we're going to start seeing quite a bit more IoT devices being hacked and taken for money. Well, I want to talk about that, but I want to go back to you talking to the the cyber threat actor. Where was he located? I don't know. I believe uh, based upon their their accent and also a little bit of Chechnya that I picked up. So probably Chechnya, maybe Hungary. Um, 
roughly about those areas. So Eastern Block specifically, I mean, they did have a VOIP, so they spoofed their their items, uh, their IP addresses. So it could have been anywhere from Yemen all the way to Uzbekistan. So it really depends where what layer uh, layers they had. So. How many languages? Okay. And wait, when you speak to somebody like in Croatia or Hungary, do you speak English or is there a translator or how does that work? Depends. Uh, my Arabic is pretty good. My Spanish is pretty good. My English is, I think, pretty decent. Um, and whenever we translate to these other people, it's more so, you know, they, they speak a little bit of English so we can get the, the gist of it, if we will. And I'm sure they know how to say like $5 million in multiple languages. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then how do, you, how do you transfer the money to them? Through Bitcoin? It could be through Bitcoin. It could be through Chainlink. It could be through... Um, there's so many cryptocurrencies now, and what happens is you just pay them via email, and it, and it traverses that way. However, in the smart block, it deduces where it's it's going to and where it's coming from. From their aspect, they're they're doing a point of money laundering at that point, saying, "Hey, I need to go ahead and money uh, launder this money, mix my funds, and then I get paid." So by the time it hits them, they probably lost maybe twenty twenty six percent of their initial hit. So let's just say doing five hundred k. The times 26%, that's what they're probably going to walk away with. And once they get the money, like for the mortgage company, the hospital, mm-hmm. how long how long does it take for them to – do they send like a decrypting tool or the instructions or a key or how does that work? Yeah. So what they'll do is they'll send a decryption key, if you will, like an asymmetric or symmetric key. Uh, they'll send it over to you. They'll say, hey, here you go. Here's all your stuff. However, before you do that, you need to make sure your, your network is completely locked down. That's <laughs> okay. what I would suggest first, <laughs> because you know, even though you're communicating with them, there is a sort of trust, if you will, with your attacker. I would not recommend that you you do that. Um, you know, you need to have before you engage the cyber attacker. You need to have X amount of proactive things in front of you before you can um, before you can get to that point. And there's so much work that needs to get done before then. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, like, what what do you have to do? So there's, you know, you have to understand your network, you have to make sure you're isolated, you have to make sure that your uh, squared away, your DLP plan is all done, your accounts have been reset, um, you know, really depends on your network environment, and how big it is, it really depends how much level of effort it's going to take and how much network. I've seen people and companies take anywhere from one day to 100 days to, to get that wow. to the point of engaging with the cyber attacker. What happens to the insurance company in the middle? Do they participate or do they say, yes, it's okay, we are going to cover up to this amount? Or how? what is their involvement? <laughs> I just wrote an article about this, the Catch-22 syndrome. Um, so with regards to the Catch-22 syndrome that insurance people are going to be caught in and also the hospitals and banks and whatnot – What's going to happen is the insurance company is going to say, hey, I need you to use my digital forensic experts, incident response people. Okay. However, we're about two weeks out. So you're going to have to hold on. And this is where the cyber insurance companies are kind of doing injustice by certain businesses and also certain companies and people. Now they show up to the place two weeks later, data has gone, activities already happened, or it's in the midst of happening. The insurance companies look, look at you and say, hey, what did you do in the meantime to be reasonably reactive? And if you didn't do anything, then you're caught with the bag, right? Um, yeah. And so, but if you did do something, they said, hey, you know, we don't know if we're going to cover that because it wasn't part of our stuff. So what I'm starting to notice, the trend market, the market trend here is 
people are taking matters into their own hands and saying, Hey, insurance, you're going to reimburse me because I did this stuff and you didn't, you weren't there. So I need to know what we're going to do here. Right. And so they're going to, I was just doing a case study earlier that a certain medical provider was reimbursed up to $6.5 million and not to exceed that. Well, the reason why I bring this up with the insurance is that around the office, I've been calling it the $75,000 photo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Several years ago, and I mean several years ago, (laughs) okay, Uh, back in, oh gosh, I think it was 2013, is that we had a video and it was the top 10 airports for Wi-Fi. You know, that's when it was big, right? Now Wi-Fi is the standard, but sometimes it wasn't the standard then. And we had a gal that worked for us and she was a multimedia journalist and she used a picture of an airport uh, for three seconds of a 10-minute video. And I got a letter from an attorney that said that because we used the photo and it was copywritten is that we owed them $75,000. Okay. Uh, Three seconds, uh, the photo was on the screen. And the video was 10 minutes long, and we figured out that based upon analytics, about 1,300 people actually saw the photo. So $75,000, which we probably could have um, – we could have gotten that photo out of, out of a agency for about 50 bucks maybe, right? <laughs> so I call my insurance company, and they say, oh, yeah, we'd love to help you. Uh, but you have a $50,000 deductible. Oh. And then they sent, said you, but because of the insurance, you have to use our attorneys. And <laughs> my our attorneys are $485 an hour for the junior attorney. Of course. That's right. Okay. That's right. I see that too. And so um, we're still negotiating but I go back to the point of I keep going back to this attorney saying I'm not going to pay. They need to prove to me that this photo was on the internet copywritten in 2013. Show me how that is. But the, the, the point being is that you may think that you have this insurance and you're going to be able to call them up and really the onus is going to be on you. Unfortunately, yes. A lot of consumers, a lot of businesses are going to be stuck with the bag. And I, I don't agree with that, right? We, we buy insurances to help us out, to protect, add to that layer, layer of protection. And unfortunately, uh, they're in the business of their business and we're in the business of our business. So that leads me to the next evolutional part is we need to be our own first responders. We need to be able to get into our own game and we need to be mindful of if I move this chess piece over here, What does it mean for my business later? And what does it mean from a legal perspective? What does it mean from a cyber perspective? You know, Rico, I just, I was so fascinated about the whole ransomware. I didn't even talk about the medical internet of things. And so stay right where you are. So when we come back, we will talk more about the medical internet of things. I promise. I know me. I have ADD. I don't take anything, but I'll come back. So stay right where you are. Hey, welcome back to Kim Commando Explains. We're talking to our good friend, Rico. He's our cybersecurity expert here at the show. And medical implants, are how vulnerable are we? I would say we're pretty vulnerable with regards to 
having our data not encrypted, um, not not in the best interest of ourselves. That's kind of the two vulnerabilities that I see. Uh, one of them is, you know, let's talk about the vulnerability of, of not being encrypted. A lot of people are not paying attention of the encryption level, the transmission level. So that means data flying over anybody's network could could be possibly intercepted. Right. So you could just pull it right out of the air. Uh, it could be. It could be. It depends on where the network tap is at. Depends on how it's being transmitted, what packet sequence. I, I believe that anybody with uh, some sort of skill set in the network side of the house could possibly do that. See, for me, if I had an implant, I'd be like, well, you know what? The network's going over the air. doesn't matter. I mean, Facebook already knows when I go to the bathroom and you know, Amazon already knows what I need before I need it. The thing that would concern me if I had a medical implant would be how vulnerable am I for somebody to say they were able to hack a car? Could they Mm -hmm. hack my pacemaker, burn the battery down or worse, give me a shock when I don't need it? Absolutely. We've seen that case in point uh, already done. We've seen that that search research already squared away. I know for a fact that I've seen those use cases done at conferences such as the Black Hat, DEF CON, B-Sides, uh, Cactus Con, where they will take a medical device and say, what can we do to it? And it's, it's not only for the purpose of the exercise for people to see what's out there, but also to engage um, their level of effort on devices. I really believe that these small, smart, smart, dumb devices are going to be a very uh, crucial point in people's healthcare systems, and it's going to be the most viable point, a pivot point for an attacker to get into. You just used a word. It was almost like an oxymoron, the small, smart, dumb devices. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what I call them, smart, dumb, uh, smart, <laughs> dumb devices. Um You'll have like a Raspberry Pi or a Nook or something that say, hey, I wanted to call Rico Danielson every hour on the hour for the next 25 years. And that's what it will do. It's so smart that it will do it. It's so smart and so dumb that it says, "Okay, if you want to paint this over and over and over, I'm just going to do that without any recourse, without any thought process. It's just going to keep you doing it. So aside from the pacemaker, is the same vulnerability in like insulin pumps or anything like that? Yeah. So all these devices, remember, they only have so many, so much amount of capabilities, such as RAM, CPU utilization. So once you start finding out these different elements, you can actually figure out, write a script. You can write some sort of program to overexhaust these resources, like use up so much of the RAM and, and cause it to do a RAM dump. Right. So now you just lost all your data and now it goes back to resetting if it, if it hits a certain point of RAM dump. If you can overexhaust the CPU utilization, which is, says, you know, uh, I want you to consume 98 percent of, of this computer or device's CPU utilization and I want you to crash it and reset it whenever I wanted to. So imagine if you have that and you have it in somebody's kidney pump and you just blow away its kidney pump, it's going to make you say, whoa. I'm going to go ahead and reset. Oh, who's this new person? Let me get, let me over insulate them. So, how do we protect against that? Is there anything that we can do? I mean, it's, I mean, we always say like the onus is on the manufacturer, right? But not necessarily, unfortunately. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, manufacturers got geared away from that in regards to the terms and condition usage, saying, "Hey, here you go. You're in charge of your own device now. You're in charge of your own destiny. Here's the best thing you can do." 
I think we as consumers need to take matters in our own hands and one, understand the configuration. I know this is going to get super technical and super nerdy, but that's okay because we need to understand that the configuration level, what's open, what's not open, what can it do, what can it not do? What is the peak points of performance of these things? And then what's not the peak point of performance of these items as well? So Rico, all that sounds high level, but do you have any Very. like real life examples where something like this has happened? Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, brought into a a wrongful death uh, case, uh, and they said that the manufacturer um, was at fault. Uh, they produce a small medical device for a – it's called a stem, a neural stem, and actually goes up through your spine and goes through your layers of your layer one, layer two skin. So it provides neural stimulation to your spine. Um, and unfortunately, that this person passed away and they said it's because it was a defective uh, device. So upon my research, I was able to jump in there, understand what is needed, you know, what cybersecurity elements. And, and I come to find out that this medical neural device that went up through the spine, that's an implant, had no security whatsoever around oh, it. It was radiating information left and right. It was broadcasting information saying, hey, I'm a medical device. Tell me what you want to know. And so... Could we definitively say it's been hacked and compromised? No, because the the smart dumb device did not have enough metadata to churn through. But we could not not say it as well, right? Boy, that's horrible. Yeah, unfortunately, um, this person was you know he the person passed away uh, due to the medical device. Uh, the medical device company wound up paying out a couple million dollars. That's fine and all. What I'm worried about, I never heard from that medical advice company saying that whether they remediated the issue of cybersecurity or not. And that's what I'm really concerned about because these medical devices are everywhere. And I see them in in neural pain stops, in neural um, uh, neural opti- optimization places, uh, operating rooms, and they're implanting these things in people. And my concern is you never remediated the issue in the, in the first place. You know, and all your... All your medical records are all online. I mean, oh, <laughs> that's medical EMR. That's a whole another conversation yeah, right there. <laughs> and, and, and that's fascinating to me. And it's great that all your medical records are online. My mother, as you know, Rico, was in the Mayo Clinic recently, and they mm-hmm. have they have not, are now using the Epic system, which is used globally. It's a huge system, but she was in one of the first rooms where there was a huge monitor like a 60 inch monitor at the foot of her bed mm-hmm. and it was a touch screen so i can touch the screen and i can see all of her medical tests uh, her images i could write notes to the doctor uh, it was really quite fascinating to me that everything was just right there available on the touch screen and for patients convenience and when the attending physicians come in that they can pull everything up and show you and then at the same time i was thinking like you know, anybody can just walk in and touch the screen and there's no authentication on this system at all. I was astounded by that. Absolutely. I, I understand that and I see that. And even though it's it's a great means of transportation and great means of communication, there is some sort of thing of, of privacy. You know, we need to understand privacy. Well, in your medical records, how vulnerable are they? Depends where they are, but they're pretty, pretty vulnerable. Um, with regards to where they are, <laughs> just worked a medical issue here in, in Scottsdale where the medical clinic 
was not able to sufficiently provide um, provide information and also security around it. So they're just medical devices anywhere with access to anything. So it was, it was very disturbing to see that. So if you have a medical device, what are your options? What are you supposed to do with it? So medical devices, I believe that we need to be able to understand what they are, how they transmit, and what is the max capacity of it. Um, that's that's one, one thing of it. And then number two, understanding the security around it, not only from your phone perspective, from the physical perspective. I'm fascinated by that. I really am. <laughs> hey, Rico, you're awesome. Thanks for being here. I appreciate y'all. Appreciate it. Thanks. So it really falls on you to protect your IoT devices from cyber attacks. You always want to check your network to see which devices are online and connected. You want to monitor your Wi-Fi network, especially for intruders, because you want to protect every device that's connected to it. But how do you know every device that's connected to it? Yeah, you know, therein lies the problem. If you feel comfortable, if you know what you're doing, you can get into your router's online interface. If you don't know how to get into your router's online interface, you can Google that at the manufacturer's website, and they'll give you a support manual. And if you don't feel comfortable digging into your network, there's an app to do that. It's called Advanced IP Scanner. It's free, and it's a reliable option that tells you quickly, with very little input, everything that's connected to your network. Now, next, you want to consider setting up a separate Wi-Fi network for your devices. Why would you want to do that? Well, this way, all your IoT devices are on one network and not on your primary network where you're doing all your banking, your financial stuff. You get the drift. So to protect your main network, you create a separate guest network. This gives all your IoT devices access to the Internet that they need to work without putting your computer and everything else, your important files, at risk. We have the steps over at commando.com on how to set up a guest network. Of course, use strong, complex passwords that aren't easily guessed. And this is super important. Always check for and install the latest updates for every IoT device that you own. This will help keep you just one step ahead of hackers and cyber criminals. More internet-connected devices doesn't mean more holes in your system, if you're smart. Think of your network as this garden with a growing collection of flowers that you have to tend to. And the more you water them, the better shape they'll be in. The more you protect your network, the better shape that you'll be in. If you learned just one thing about this podcast, make sure that you give us a great, glowing five-star review and share this podcast with your family members and friends because that's how we get more people that are connected, more people who know what they're doing about technology. And the more people we know about technology, the safer that we'll all be. And just a quick reminder, this is not the Kim Commando Show podcast. You can actually subscribe to the Kim Commando Show podcast on Apple right now while you're thinking about it. Or if you're on Android, head over to getkim.com. Just search for Kim Commando Show. And I'll see you next time.